I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. This week, Americana Fest has been in full swing. Thousands of people from all over the globe have traveled to our city to hear legendary performers and discover what fresh new voices are emerging in the genre. Americana is reflective of, well, America. In other words, it contains multitudes. Today, we'll invite a few, music, we'll invite a few musicians on to talk about the scene here in Nashville and what Americana means to them. But first, Governor Bill Lee has made his support of charter schools well-known. He's entered into a partnership with the small but influential Hillsdale College in Michigan to open up scores of charter schools throughout our state. But then a secret recording came out of Hillsdale President Larry Arne making disparaging marks, remarks about teachers. Since then, local school boards in the state have rejected charter applications from Hillsdale-affiliated schools, but the ultimate decision will come from Governor Lee's appointed Public Charter School Commission. Kelsey Byer has been covering the story. Kelsey Byler from the has been covering the story for the Nashville scene, and she joins us now. Kelsey, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really excited. Big fan of the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, you know, this all began in Governor Lee's State of the State address, right? Yeah. What was the reaction when he announced the partnership with, with Hillsdale College? Yeah, I think there was some uh, hesitancy among Tennesseans, not only because of the conservative nature of Hillsdale, but also just, you know, not a lot of folks want charter schools in the school districts. And, and he mentioned wanting to bring 50 charter schools across the state. So, you know, initially you kind of had that hesitancy of, are we getting all these charter schools with this college? And then, of course, things really blew up when that video came out. Well, why are charter schools so controversial here? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a nationwide controversial topic for sure. It's just, uh, you know, critics argue that they, well, and, and they do, they divert public funds from public school systems. and so, But they are independently run. And so people get frustrated when the school district itself can't run the school but has to foot the bill for it. Mm. So in turn, why does Governor Lee support them so fervently? I, you know, he, I, I'm not entirely sure you know, why he loves them so much. Uh, I think he really champions parent choice and school choice. Uh, he champions, you know, uh, charter schools in and of themselves. He just, he's just really a big fan of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about Hillsdale curriculum in particular that's raised concerns from people? Yeah, so it's the 1776 curriculum is um, kind of the, the name of, of some of the Hillsdale curriculum. And it was made kind of in, it will, so Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, was on uh, former President Donald Trump's 1776 commission, which was made as sort of a reaction to the New York Times 1619 project, which examines, you know, the role of, of racism in the shaping of America. And so, you know, there was a 1776 commission that Arn was a part of, and then it, it wasn't directly linked to, but somewhat inspired um, that Hillsdale then made the 1776 curriculum that, you know, kind of talks about very, very pro-American, very patriotic. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when Larry Arn made his remarks about teachers, there was a bipartisan call for the governor to condemn the remarks, but he didn't. What's the significance about the pushback, that particular pushback from state lawmakers? Yeah, the fact that there was a bipartisan agreement on it was significant in and of itself. You know, it's rare that you have um, bipartisan agreement on education issues. And and I think, you know, it, it, it's been a difficult year, past couple of years for teachers uh, in the state and across the country, just with everything going on with the pandemic, with increased political attention on schools. 
and stuff like that. So having this insult from Arn, you know, he said teachers are trained in the dumbest parts of the dumbest colleges and then the governor not standing up for the Tennessee teachers. I think that really bothered a lot of people, you know, teachers and, and politicians as well. And it's it's come up in conversations that I've had, not even about Hillsdale. I mean, it really resonated with folks. And so, yeah, you can't ignore it. So aside from Arn's comments, what else have school boards, what have they found troublesome about Hillsdale-affiliated charter schools? Well, you know, the desire to bring 50 of them across the state. Right now, charter schools are really concentrated just in the larger cities. Um, and and so extending those out to, to smaller districts, I think there's some hesitancy there. And then, of course, the nature of the curriculum itself. You know, some parents probably would be more supportive of it than others. Some parents wouldn't. Um, but I think ultimately folks that maybe would have supported it before are, are more hesitant to do so knowing how Arn feels about teachers. Now, the Rutherford County School Board recently rejected a Hillsdale charter. Mm-hmm. What reasons did they give for that move? Yeah, so every time a school board uh, examines a charter application, or rather it's the school district, they have their own folks that, that, that do an investigation and they look at things. It's, it's based on a state rubric and they look at aspects like uh, finances and academics and operations. And so, you know, they have to decide whether or not the application meets those standards. And in the case of Rutherford, they found that um, the American Classical Academy, which is the Hillsdale-affiliated charter school, they did not fully meet the uh, the standards for, I believe it was operations and academics. And, and part of the reasons that they cited was um, that they had concerns about the school's um, plan to address students with disabilities and also recruitment for diverse families. Mm-hmm. So the matter now is in the hands of the Tennessee Public Charter School Commission, which has the power to override decisions made by the school boards. Give us a little background on the commission. Yeah, so the commission started um, you know, having that power to override school boards this year. Critics of the commission say that it was made to greenlight as many charter schools as possible. It was appointed by Governor Lee, um, and there are some members that do have ties with some pro-charter, pro-charter organizations. And so basically, you know, a charter school can apply to the school district. If the school district says no, they can then apply to the state charter commission. And then the charter commission creates its own investigation and then makes that final call of of whether or not to greenlight the school or not. Now, you were at a public hearing on Wednesday. Yes. What was that like? It was um, it. It was intense. There was a press conference before. There were some um, politicians there. Gloria Johnson, who's, who's um, you know, big public education advocate, um, among others, were there talking about it. But but what was interesting is you had the folks that were not in support of Charsdale, excuse me, not in support of the Hillsdale affiliated charter school, talking about why they thought so outside of the meeting. Mm. But in the meeting itself, all you heard from were people who supported the American Classical Academy. And, you know, folks say that that was intentional, that they weren't given that, you know, many people weren't given the time and the space to to sign up for public comment because there was limited slots. And so there was some there was some tension there just on, you know, who is this hearing for and and what's the message that being sent out for it from it? Did you talk to people as, as they left? I did. What were their comments? Yeah, I mean, you had the parents who and the community members who were there in support of Hillsdale. A lot of them will be like, oh, this has become so political and so divisive. And it's not about that. It's just about school choice and, and getting a good education for my kid. Um, and then you have the folks that are like, this is, you know, yes, it's political. But again, you see that bipartisan support. So it's not entirely 
politically divisive. Um, and, and parents were frustrated uh, that they couldn't really voice their concerns about the school and that all of the public comment built into the meeting was for um, folks who supported American Classical Academy. Do you have any idea of what the commission might decide? No, and I am very, very interested. My, I am, and many people are very interested to see what they're going to do. Um, you know, they it's going to be interesting. I'm sure they're kind of put in between a rock and a hard place right now because you have all of this uh, public pressure and this public um, hesitancy towards towards Hill. Hillsdale, but then, you know, you they were appointed by Governor Lee, and so he obviously really likes charter schools, he likes Hillsdale, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how they, you know, balance those two, how much they want to stick to the rubric, how much they're going to pay attention to all of the political um, noise surrounding it, and I'm very interested in, in seeing what's going to happen. Really high political stakes here. Yeah. So what are the questions? What are, what are, what are the, some of the other big questions that we have to wait to see? And how this will play out. Yeah, uh, again, w how the commission is going to decide. And I want to note, too, it's not just for Rutherford County. There's three American Classical, American classical Academies being um, heard, that, were, that were heard this week uh, for Rutherford County Schools, Jackson-Madison Schools, and Clarksville-Montgomery Schools. And so all of those are going to be, um, there's going to be a final decision on all of those on October 5th. And, and so, yeah, seeing what's going to happen there and then the subsequent reaction, you know, mm -hmm. is are they going to green light it? If so, we're going to be hearing about it left and right. And if they don't, is our Hillsdale affiliated charter school is going to continue trying to set up shop in, in Tennessee? You know, what are some supporters going to say? What are some people who are against them going to say? And, and how is it going to be used in the political landscape, both, you know, for the upcoming election and also in the forthcoming legislative session? Though I... I think it's worth noting that um, Mark White, who's a Republican in Memphis, pro-charter, he's a representative, and he leads the education committee. He has said on the record that he's not really interested in supporting uh, Hillsdale-related legislation moving forward. So that's something worth noting. Kelsey Byler is a staff writer for at the Nashville Scene. Kelsey, thanks so much for being with us and sharing your reporting. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll make a quick visit to the Americana Fest that's been rocking our town for the past few days and meet a few local artists here to hear what the genre means to them. Are you a fan of Americana music? Who's your favorite? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. It's almost 7 o'clock, and Exit Inn is packed. It's the third night of Americana Fest, and tonight, folks are waiting for country folk singer-songwriter Charles Wesley Godwin to take the stage. They've come from all over to be here tonight. We're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. California. Oh, no, I'm from Oh, no, Dallas. we're from Texas. I am from Murfreesboro. So what is Americana to these folks? A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, a lot of fun. Any intersection of folk, country, and rock, I would say is the textbook definition that doesn't neatly fall into another category. 
Uh, country music for liberals is another definition I've heard tossed around. American roots, not defined by any mainstream genre, but anything that pulls on the traditional music that defined America. Oh my gosh, I'm not the best person to ask. I'm, I'm not even American. <laughs> Honestly, I define it as not bubblegum music, country music. It's got a little influence of like jazz, bluegrass, pop, rock, everything that you like that isn't like radio country, and that's what I appreciate. My next guests have their own thoughts about the genre as artists themselves. Samuel Herb and Kyle Daniel, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I'd like to start off by asking what America mean, Americana means to each of you, Samuel. Oh, um, Americana is just a place for everybody to be themselves and have a good time listening to music. All right. I like that. That's pretty straight up and down. Kyle, uh, how would you define it? I like uh, I liked earlier they were talking about the melting pot of, you know, the roots of, of American music. I think that was, was, was pretty head on. I think that's good. What'd you, I, I saw you both as we were listening to that real quick. You both kind of had a little chuckle and smile when they, the one person said, it's country music for liberals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you have like the outlaw country movement back in the day with, you know, Willie and Waylon talking about things that weren't necessarily popular in country music and especially not traditional country music. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're just a couple of generations later doing the same thing, but everybody's can do it. It's not just Willie and Waylon. It's it's a large collective of people doing doing the thing that is uh, Americana and just I don't know. It, it it's 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 funny, but it's just so true. Okay, so Samuel, tell me, how did you get your start making music? Um, I started playing. Um, well, I started writing lyrics when I was fifteen, and um, a friend of mine at my synagogue was a guitar player, and I would take my lyrics to him, and we would write songs, and then um, every I was like, man, I got to learn how to play these. So I picked up the ukulele when I was 16 and then guitar at 17 and moved to Nashville um, like the last semester of college and took my last three classes online. Okay. <laughs> Here we are. And you made the jump. You took the leap. Yeah. I mean, um, I finished second in um, American Songwriters Magazine's like lyric contest. And I was like, all right, I can actually write. I can actually do this. And uh, I went to... NSAI's like songwriting camp thing and they were like you just you should probably move here and I was like all right I'm here okay yeah fantastic now Kyle how about you how'd you get started well uh I'm from Bowling Green Kentucky right up the road and I started playing when I was 16 and sneaking into bars that I wasn't even allowed into um playing as a young dude and and that kind of went from me with some of my buddies to me playing lead guitar for other acts and then you know, finally settling into the fact that I wanted to be the front man again. So uh, I went to MTSU and um, got a music business degree, came to Nashville about 13 years ago and have kind of done it all from tour management to merchandise management to playing for somebody to now back again as Kyle Daniel. Okay, so back to when you were in school. 16 years old, sneaking into these bars, playing. Yeah. Were you all that good that the bar managers would overlook the fact that you all are underage? Well, I, I would I would probably say yes. Uh, the the famous dive bar in Bowling Green is called Tidballs. John Tidball, uh, one of the owners, and and Jarvis are good buddies of mine. They would they would probably attest to the fact that they overlooked the fact that I was young and they could be you know in trouble with the ABC folks. Mm -hmm. uh, 
because they uh, they believed in me and they believed in me ever since. And, and it, you know, always meant something. How did that feel to have that type of support at such a young age that it's taken you where you are now? It's It was awesome because there were, it wasn't just Tidballs. It was State Street Pub. It was the brewing company. It was 440 Main. There were different venues that once it started, they, you know, were a little more accepting of the fact that, you know, I was a young pup in there trying to, to play music, and, and it was it was great to have that kind of hometown love. Mm-hmm. Now, Samuel, tell me, what are who are some of the artists that have influenced your style? Oh, geez. Um, well, um, I would say that musically, the Jason Mraz, um, Jack Johnson, um, I mean, I grew up listening to country radio um, just forever, um, but, like, when you talk about lyrically, um, I love Lil Wayne. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. Um, just that like comedic, like genius of Lil Wayne. Um, I feel a lot of that in what I write. Um, just, I, I, yeah, that's kind of the people I listen to. And right now I, I love Lizzo. I don't, that, that is. She's on top right now. Yeah. She's on fire. Just, I mean, even before that, I actually, I'd never heard of Lizzo until, um, her last record came out and it was an NPR uh, like interview with her. And I was like, I've never, they're not even playing her music, but I want to listen to it just mm-hmm. based on who this person is. Um, and describe your music for us. My music is, um, it's considered like by definition, it's folk soul. Um, but, um, that's just because I write folky songs. Cause that's my experience as a human. Um, but I have, I, I'm a huge, I mean, going back to influences like James Brown, um, anything that was like big and, um, respectfully a lot of horns, I was going to say horny, mm-hmm. but I probably shouldn't have anyway, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Good call. anything that's big and a lot of horns, um, that that's kind of my music. Yeah. I play, I play the uke. So it's, it's just a weird mix of fun have you ever listened to the horn the, ten, the, the tennessee horns that made like al green songs and other soul songs so famous in the I, 60s and 70s i would like to take a deeper dive but i i don't know enough to like have a conversation about it get on the diving board and take that dive All my right. friend i think you'll like it now kyle how did you come to find americana music like who are the artists that introduced you to the genre I would say Will Hogue was probably the first artist that would be tried and true Americana that I fell in love with and uh, was fortunate enough to be able to write and collaborate with Will a couple times. Uh, He's a great dude. But Mm. as far as influences, um, I grew up a huge Allman Brothers fan. I loved Greg Allman, the way he could tell a story and relate, um, you know, his real life experiences in these songs. And you could feel the the genuine nature um, you listen to folks like Tom Petty and Bob Seger and Bruce Springsteen and those kind of cats. It's like they were living what they were singing about. It wasn't some fabricated thing to try to hit radio. They they were really, they were talking about their life. And so uh, I think that was what initially kind of drew me to Americana was was Will Hogue, you know, because when, when, you feel, you listen to him and you instantly feel that that dude is real. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's speaking the truth about his own life. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Nashville's Americana Fest kicked off a few days ago. This hour, we're talking about the genre with local musicians Samuel Herb and Kyle Daniel. So, Samuel, you've got a new song coming out soon. You're actually going to give us a sneak peek today, which is very cool of you. Yeah. It's called This Dress Has Pockets. Let's listen. Every function, every 
like that. I like that a lot. You're talking about Thank your you. influences. Like right before the chorus came, I was listening and it, I kind of felt like I was listening to, is Bob Marley one of your influences? Yeah. I, I yeah. felt that. Yeah. I, I listened to a lot. Like, so <laughs> when you're in high school, um, I don't know if everybody has this experience, but as a music lover, I went from like the Lil Wayne like phase of my learning about music to some girl that I thought was cute in my class going, have you ever heard of Jack Johnson? Uh-huh to like, wow, I love this, to then finding Jason Mraz, to then finding Jason Mraz's influences were Bob Marley. So yes, <laughs> long story short, yes, I did. Nice. He is one of my uh, influences. For well sure. done, sir. Well done. Now, Kyle, you described your music as Southern man's working music based off of your own life experiences. We're going to listen to one of your songs now called Following the Rain. Some live in the sunshine out under the blue sky But all I know Is I ain't built that way There must be some kind of curse I got With a heart like a witch and rod And I just keep on following the rain Just another dark cloud Springsteen is an influence, and I hear that in there. Very well done. Tell me, what inspired that song? You know, the past couple of years have been rough on all of us, man. And I think one thing that we have failed to kind of put in the spotlight is the fact that mental health has taken a rapid decline. I mean, you know, it's not always easy to talk about. I personally um, fought it a lot myself. You know, I was I was over in London about to open up for Eric Church in front of 35,000 people at the O2 Arena right mm -hmm. when this whole thing started. And I had to come home on emergency flights and I sat there and um, I tried to be as, you know, productive as I possibly could by writing songs. And I, and I cut this record down in Muscle Shoals. But um, it was tough. It was I went through a, a deep depression for quite some time. And uh and that was what this song was about. And thankfully, able to to work myself back out of that, you know. You were talking about performing overseas. What's what's the reception of Americana in other countries? Man, it's it's a different ballgame over there, totally. Um, I just got back. I did two weeks over um, in Europe. I did, um, did London and did four or five shows in Germany. And then I came back and was in York and Leicestershire and did a big festival called the Long Road Festival. And... Um, just the reception, the hunger for music over there overall is completely different. And I think that the folks really connect to the songs. They want to know about the backstory. They want to know where it came from because they become their favorite song and they're telling everybody they know about it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Samuel, in your opinion, what does Americana mean to Nashville? Ooh, um, I would say Americana to Nashville is a safe space to just kind of do your thing and be yourself. I mean, I moved here to write country songs, and that was it. Um, like, I just wanted to be a country writer. I wanted to be the nice Jewish kid that's behind the scenes that has like 12 number one hits on the wall and nobody ever knows my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found that writing songs for um, pop, country, radio was not fulfilling to who I am as a human being. Um, and I found the Americana genre and uh, it just allows me to be myself and literally whatever I am and want to be. <laughs> so that's, I think that it allows Nashville to have this home for people to do their thing. Last cue for you, Kyle. We've got about maybe a minute, minute and a half left. You know, we talked a lot about how Nashville is not just a city for country music, but for all music against popular opinion. What is it about the Americana scene here that creates this diverse space for not just one style, but for different people who are performing that music? Man, I think it's just, you know, Nashville's grown over the past uh, couple years. I've been here for 13 years, and you see how it's just opened up altogether, that that it's not just Broadway. I think, you know, you see the uh, new Nashville is kind of uh, this thing that uh, that includes everybody, that it, it's, it's different sounds. It's different, you know, we were talking about the Americana Fest t-shirt, you know, that is inclusionary. It just shows that you know, Nashville's kind of wrapped its arms around more than just country music now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important, you know, because there's a space for everybody. And that's what Americana does for Nashville. That is Americana artist Kyle Daniel. He was joined by Samuel Herb. Thanks to you both for being with us. Really great to talk with you guys. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite nationally recognized Americana artists, Reese Palmer and Lily Lewis into the conversation. We'll be right back. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Americana music represents America, but for a genre that is supposed to celebrate a national identity, it's traditionally been overwhelmingly white and male. But our country is a melting pot, and a lot of artists are working to change the genre. My next guests are in town for Americana Fest, and we're pleased to have them with us today. Lily Palmer is an Americana singer, songwriter, and a folk artist from New Orleans. Lily Lewis, pardon me, is American singer, songwriter, and folk artist from New Orleans. And Reese Palmer is a country music artist who spent about a decade immersed in Nashville's country music scene, but now lives in Philadelphia. Reese, Lily, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you both for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Such. Thank you for having me. And I have to say, I'm very proud of where I'm from. I'm from Durham. Durham. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. So now, now, Reese, you made your debut in 2007 with your single Country Girl, and you were actually the first black woman to chart a country song since Donna Mason back in the late 80s. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So tell me what first got you into this genre of music? 
Um, I started out listening to country music with my mother. I grew up in a household where both of my parents are from Georgia. And so country music was just as much a part of the musical tapestry in my household as R&B and gospel and pop and rock and all of that. And I think what I gravitated towards was the storytelling aspect, the instrumental aspect and, and just the tones of the singers and and all of that. And I just, I really, I, it resonated with me. Um, I, you know, I've always been a storyteller. I've always been a songwriter from, for as long as I could remember. And it just made an indelible impression on me as a child. And, and it stuck with me. And, and that's what I decided to do with my life. So let me ask, what does Americana mean to you? Well, I think in the last segment, y'all said it perfectly and succinctly. I think that Americana music is a representation of all of the the roots of popular American music. Um, it's reflective of all the different cultures that came to this country, whether you came here voluntarily or involuntarily. The things that we all brought to this country um, melted melted together in this quote unquote melting pot that we live in. And, um, you know, it, it, it's the basic ingredients that make up, you know, all the sub genres of music that we now have. Lily, same question. What is Americana to you? You know, I, I consider Americana the bread and butter of any music that you're going to encounter in a live space in your community that you're, you know, um, like any any bar or venue that is hosting live music by you know by local musicians even um whether it's in the northeast the midwest west coast everybody's got their own brand of what they're going to host but if you see a live musician playing their instrument in you know in one of these spaces in your community you're encountering americana um it's a it's a really broad stroke genre because of all the influences that pour into it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really people speaking their truths to one another. Um, and, and it can be as intimate or as big, you know, as it needs to be to get the story told, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it can cross from, you know, us folky folk, you know, all the way to commercial country, you know, that, that, that Reese came up and, um, you know, and I, um, Again, I I come from Georgia. Uh, my father's people, you know, pick cotton uh, and sugarcane, and um, and he raised me on Conway Twitty and Charlie Pride, and you know, a lot. And Kenny Rogers had a house right down the street, mm. and and all of that, all both the genre that those people lived in, um, and everything that influenced it. Um, influence those voices those human voices uh has a home in americana so we're we're a big tent genre would you say that the genre is evolving yeah i, I want to take that <laughs> <laughs> well first of all hi lily hi um, Reese. <laughs> it's good to talk to you okay um okay now back to what we were talking about um no i i think that um I think we're in the beginning stages of an evolution. I'll say that mm. because uh, the first step is acknowledgement and um, 
And then you have to do something to back up that acknowledgement. And so I'm interested to see what the genre um, and, you know, the genre that I've primarily done business in this country. And so in both country and Americana, now that we've made this acknowledgement that, yes, even though things have been overwhelmingly white and male, um, yes, you have a stake in this. Yes, you have a claim in this. Okay, so what are we going to do about it? So I think that's the next step. But I, I see like the I see the beginning. It's like, you know, in the morning when the sun starts to break through, like it's there's there's like little glimmers. <laughs> there's little glimmers of sunshine and light. And like now, what are we going to do about it? Like, how are we going to make it right? How are we going to set the record straight? How are we going to um, correct the narrative? So, you know, I'm I'm very curious to see what everyone is going to do now, now that we have this information and this knowledge. Lily, how have you seen the genre change over the course of your career? Well, when I got started, uh, I don't think Americana existed as a label. I think it was just burgeoning as a label. And that's how I started to identify as a folk artist. I think in similar ways that Reese identified as a a country artist, Um, uh, because Oh, well, maybe we had different motivations there, but um, so it was, you know, it was a little, a tiny point of light, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago when Americana started asserting itself in the industry. Um, But as Reese referenced, it was predominantly white. And I was, I was uh, literally um, uninvited from a, a number of the spaces and told that people felt that my music would be too ethnic for their venues. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, play fairs in the, uh, it, it, at home, like in, in Louisiana where I live now and I'd show up and, you know, ready, you know, in country garb and ready to play, you know, our bluegrass music and be asked, you know, Oh, well, what are you going to play? Cause we don't like the hip hop here. We don't like the rap. Okay. You know, so mm-hmm. this was, this was, you know, where where things were um, several years ago, and uh, and not not too long ago, in fact. Um, and I feel like maybe a few years ago, you know, we had pioneers like Reese, like you know, like Miko Marks out there. We had you know other earlier heroes thinking about you know kind of the black women doing this work, like Linda Martell. Um, we did have folks out there, um, but there it was just so limited. And just a few years ago, um, during the pandemic, in fact, I think it's fall of 2022, uh, it it finally dawned on me, we just need to occupy space. We just need to show up whether or not we feel invited. Um, and that's, you know, that's what, yeah, you know, that's what the other pioneers did. We just needed more of us to do it. Um, and I think that uh, in the last couple of years since then, um, and, and I think and in, in a lot of ways, the charge has been led by Nashville. Um, people had just started to show up in, in throngs, you know, in numbers, whether it was people of color, we have more queer folks showing up um, and really just taking our seat um, and not necessarily waiting for anyone um, to tell us we belong. Uh, we're just bringing amazing music and really good feelings to our audiences. And I think that's what makes the difference in the end because people just love music. You know, they love how it makes it f- them feel. It love we've, we all love what music teaches us how to feel. Um, and 
I think the change that Risi is looking for is happening organically, although, you know, we can all say it's just a burgeoning, <laughs> you know, it's just a burgeoning thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's happening organically by way of people, you know, allowing themselves to be honest about what they make um, and who they want to share it with. Um, all right. Now let's hear a bit of some of your songs. This one is Seeds by Reese Palmer. that that's a that's a strong anthem right there Reese. Reese, tell me how does your ancestral identity how does that show up in this song oh my god <laughs> um <clears throat> well first of all thank you um seeds was written uh in 2014 after the murder of michael brown in uh ferguson missouri i grew up in Eureka, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And um, I watched all of that unfold. Um, first on Facebook through friends that I still have in, in the city and in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood where it happened. And, um, you know, I'm very familiar with the racial history, the very complicated racial history of St. Louis. And I wanted to say something with the platform that I have. And, um, I think my racial, I I think my, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, when I name who I am and what I am, I'm black first, I'm a woman. And, um, I, it, it can't help but show up in my art because, um, it's at the forefront of all my thoughts. I have, I have a black brother. I have a black father and black uncles. And I think about just the everyday that they face, the, the issues that they face on a regular basis every day. And then I know, I know what my life is as a black woman in the United States and I and in the world and, and what that means. And I couldn't help but say the things that I say because I, you know, I try to approach everything positively and from a I I like solutions rather than complaints and so I tried to figure out a way to say um what I felt needed to be said but to try to do it in a positive way so I Mm -hmm. guess to answer your question I think it's all over yeah this song Mm -hmm. now Lily you put out a new album last fall titled Americana let's listen to one of those tracks this is Wrecking Ball 
And I don't wanna fight for justice. You see, I take it from an open hand. When I don't wanna fight for my power, no. Some people say to take their stand, yeah, yeah. I want peace for the seals, peace for the blind, a peace for the seagulls, peace for humankind. But we're going to Everything with a wrecking ball, everything with a wrecking ball, everything with a wrecking ball. Let's all go down to the walls, down, tear them on down. Oh, yeah, I say, let's all go down to the walls, down, tear it on down. See, I don't want to fight for a so you named this album Americana. What did you want this work to say about the genre as a whole? We have about a minute left. Well, I noticed that at the time I was being told that I was less American because I claimed my blackness. And mm. I thought that that was kind of hilarious because my people have been here since before that we called ourselves the United States and we're heavily invested here. And I noticed that the gatekeepers of Americana were often white and, 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 you know, was adhering to a specific aesthetic. And I said, well, you know, it depends on, sometimes it depends on what side of the tracks you live on. And I've lived on all the sides of the tracks. And so, um, and so I, I wanted the, the record to represent what Americana looked like in every neighborhood I would have lived in. So I wanted to tell, you know, stories of immigrants and stories of black folks and stories of queer folks and stories of homeless folks and just every, you know, every pocket of what I've experienced on my American journey. It's absolutely wonderful. That is American Americana musician Lily Lewis. She was joined by Americana musician Reese Palmer. I want to thank you both for being with us. Just a quick note. You might want to check them out if you all are listening. Reese is going to be performing Saturday at L27, the Western Rooftop Bar, and Lily is going to be performing today at 4.30 at D's Country Cocktail Lounge and then at 5 in Centennial Park. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our show is only possible because of your support. We're in the midst of our fall fun drive. So we need you to step up and to make your donation now at thisisnashville.org. While you're there, listen back to all of our episodes. Our producers are Steve Harush and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Amir Blade. Special thanks to Julie Height. Conversation, it doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>